0: Welcome back, everyone, to the Paradigm Project. Today, we'll be discussing the apparent conflict between fate and free will with Paradigm alumni and mentor, Mr. Wick. There's no
1: apparent conflict. This is war. <laughs> there's either fate or there's free will.
0: You <laughs> already got fired. There can be <laughs> no
1: two winners.
2: Which I'm really interested to see because I don't see it as much of a fight at all, actually. I only see one winner, oh, so I'm is- very interested to see how this is going to go. Very interesting.
0: I'm very intrigued. Mr. Witt, would you like to tell us a little bit about yourself?
2: Yeah, sure thing. Um, So I am a mentor here at Paradigm. I get to wear a few hats, which I really enjoy. Um, I do English and history and sign language and art and survival skills, and I really enjoy the variety a lot. I actually was a student here, and yeah, I had my four years here, and I loved the heck out of it. And then I went off to college and life and did some things, and then came back around here 10 years later, and it has been so fun. I have loved teaching here so much.
0: That's amazing. What are some of those things that you've done between your graduation from Paradigm and coming back?
2: Well, one of them actually was um, when I was at Brigham Young University. I worked as a radio producer at BYU Radio. Oh, nice. So I was there for three years, producer on several shows. I got to work with several hosts um by the time i ended my time there i was able to do a bunch of my own interstitial content that i voiced and edited together and everything so it was kind of fun to be back in a back in a sound booth with the microphones and everything
0: yeah we got a we got a real pro in here <laughs> so what was your experience as a, as a scholar at paradigm
2: my experience as a scholar at paradigm oh my gosh i Paradigm is a school where you get as much as you put into it, and I put like 500% into it as a kid. I was like the most obnoxious, straight lace teacher's pet, homework in three days early every time. I graduated with a 5.0. Just like obnoxiously good student. And it was just my hobby. School was my hobby. School was that I did for fun. I was in the student congresses and I was like doing all the extra credit projects, all the mastery projects. They used to be called five projects. i do one for like every class and I really enjoyed it. My family's always been really involved in paradigm and I've always liked teaching, but I didn't set out to be a high school teacher. I'd like to go to a university level at some point and then I was kind of between jobs. It was like mid-pandemic, and my mom was talking to me, and she's like, well, what do you want to do with life? What do you want to do? And I was like, well, I think teaching might be nice. And she's like, oh, heard. I was looking for a sign language teacher. You you know sign language? Because I studied it in college. And so got to backtrack back to here, and it's been the best surprise ever is how much I've enjoyed it Can
1: you do job. some sign language for the listeners at home? <laughs> <laughs> okay,
2: listen closely. Okay, listen closely. Beautiful. Inspiring so like, beautiful. words. So that, was, that was a beautiful sentiment.
0: <laughs>
2: oh, my goodness.
0: All right. Those profound, deeply. <laughs> Gosh, I, I've got <laughs> the chills, you guys. This is incredible
2: Each stuff. The exchange of culture is beautiful.
0: If you had to select one book as the book that has most influenced you, what would it be?
2: Oh, the book that has most influenced me. I would say there is a book that I, we are reading in my survival class. Uh, this year it is called Alas Babylon by Pat Frank and it is basically Florida man in the 50s meets the nuclear apocalypse and what happens after that and it literally just follows this guy named Randy and his community and the the bombs drop in the, the 1950s and he survives and it's just the story of that and it's very much like preparation and working in groups and working in communities and in the survival class that I'm teaching I feel like a lot of the time survivalists are very like well how are you going to survive the apocalypse by having the biggest machine gun and I'll take whatever I need but we're doing it we're approaching it from a very like why is empathy important why do humans work together why do we live in groups like this is a this is how we survive is with people and so, like working together and systems and when those go down. And uh, that book is kind of the, the inspiration for that, but also the inspiration in when things get tough, you need to work together. And that has been a really, uh, really influential book for me, I would say, throughout my life because of that.
0: That's awesome. That's a super interesting um, premise for a book. Mm-hmm.
2: The favorite reading I have actively read with the class was last year in my seminar. We read Frankenstein, and it was the end of the year, end of the semester. Everybody knew how to annotate, everybody had done the reading, everybody brought discussion ideas, and we just had this like madness of a discussion for like an entire class period. It was so good, everyone was so invested. But it's just Mary Shelley's Frankenstein is the beginning of science fiction as we know it where instead of considering humanity as there is God and then man, it was the first time that they were really getting the technology and um, like knowledge of cadavers and things like that in Mary Shelley's time, where they were starting to see man and the universe, man and nature. Where does mankind fit in the universe instead of just in a religious context? And so the, the Frankenstein, it's, it's this approach to the conversation of what is it to be human? And that was kind of the first introduction of that, but the kids really got it and everybody latched onto it, and that was a really, really fun book to read together. And it kind of ties into what we're talking about today.
1: Oh, I get it now. It's all become so clear to me.
2: It's all connected.
0: It's all connected. Well, on that note, shall we get into the discussion? Yeah, let's do it. I'm excited. So what are what are some of the thoughts that you guys have had before this? What are some experiences you've personally had with the idea of fate and free will? Mr. Witt, would you
2: like to go first? What experiences have I had with the idea of fate and free will? Let's see. I grew up in a very religious household and very much like the idea of everything happens for a reason, and everything is kind of controlled by a higher power. Good things happen when you're good, and bad things happen when you're bad, and sometimes those overlap for unexplained reasons. And it was it was a serviceable way to grow up. I I don't regret that, but I feel like as I've become an adult and explored more of the world, I still do have the personal belief that things happen for a reason, but I think more in a retrospective way. So, I think there's some merit, but I think it's really fascinating to see how those kinds of ideas and like mindsets are attached to culture and religion and the way that we are thought to think about time and action and choices and things like that. So I don't know. It's kind of it's kind of been this very abstract journey, I'd say.
0: That's very interesting. I, I'm beginning to consider some of the ways that different cultures may react to different things. Death is one thing that comes to mind. Some cultures may react in a more, like, devastated manner. And others may accept it or even, like, not necessarily celebrate the death, but the natural cycle. So a lot of cultures have this idea of a circular notion of life where things repeat. Um, sometimes that represents self-reincarnation and sometimes in other ways. I think culture definitely plays a huge role in that. Ollie, I'm curious, for the purposes of this podcast, you've adopted a little bit more of a deterministic mindset. Yeah,
1: yeah. I would say for this, uh, just to play devil's advocate, although I am...
2: Or is it God's advocate in this situation? Well,
1: I mean, it really depends on how you see things, I would say. But, you know, I am more of a compatibilist and I am more in favor of free will, but to make a more interesting discussion, I am going to try to be a staunch determinist or even like just an incompatibilist, like just determinism is the only answer, just, you know, to keep it spicy. Um, because...
0: We love those spices. spices. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. Uh,
1: My past experiences with the idea of fate and free will have mostly been Mm -hmm. religious, just like, you know, I was always taught that God wants you to have your free will and your agency to make your own choices because without free will, there can really be no governance and no justice because you can only be persecuted for action A if there was an option to take action B. But, you know, at the same time, the simplicity for like a child's understanding of it, it is easier to kind of see things in a more deterministic light as well to say something like, you know, like if you're good, a good thing will happen or if you're bad, a bad thing will happen. So preparing for this episode has really been like one of the first times where I've really taken a deep dive. Like I've always been interested in the topic, but I've never sat down and read through papers and watch videos and, and really try to come up with an understanding of it for myself, which has actually been a really fantastic experience because I've gotten to sort of learn more about what the philosophy community thinks and, uh, and what I think about it as well. So that's been really awesome.
0: Right. I'd imagine that it's a very introspective journey. One thing that you said really kind of caught my ear. You spoke about the relationship between free will and justice and governance. Um, and how that would impact the idea of fate. Um, I'm curious, how would you guys feel like free will and moral responsibility relate for both of your perspectives respectively?
2: Well, first of all, what is free will? That's a very abstract and I think often culturally malleable term. So when you say free will in this context... What is free so will?
1: in the paper I was reading last night by Peter Inwagon, he described free will as a garden full of forking paths and that upon your own free will and volition that you could choose to go down any individual paths that you could choose to go down of your own choice because, you know, there has to be more choices that are accessible to you that you could choose to take in order for you to have. Like, like that's kind of the diagram that he drew up of like what free will would look like.
2: But are you saying in that situation that free will is the many paths existing or is it the walker choosing which path to take?
0: Ah, if I may, this i came across this conflict as well phrased in this way um is free will can be seen as the ability to do otherwise or can be seen as the source of action free will
1: right? is It's a bit of both but in my eyes it's mostly the option to choose differently so like you know if you were to look at something in a deterministic way like if you were locked in a prison cell right your ability to walk out the door is completely gone the door is locked right you cannot exit that room by your own power because the option to do so has been taken away from you by means of a locked door. So, I would say that, you know, for free will, you you have to be able to make the choice to take a different path, but there also has to be a path, like you need to have the option to go down a different route.
2: So, do I not have free will because I can't cut a hole through the wall with my eyes? I don't have laser vision. I don't have that option that choice has been taken a away bit, from me. Yeah. I mean, because I can't just fly into the sky of my own power. I don't have free will because the option's not there. And if free will depends both on having the ability and the choice, so the ability to walk out of a jail cell has been taken away from me, something I could have otherwise done, were things different. If I am born without legs, is that a free will obstruction also? If I am born without legs, I wouldn't be able to walk anyway. Is being in a jail cell still the same kind of free will being taken away? Like, wh- wh- how much is the ability to choose and how much is the choices to
3: choose? They both
1: have to coexist together hand in hand. You have to have both. So if, if I was to say, like, I am going to move myself out of this room, but the door is locked. I have the ability to choose to do so, but I do not have the option to actually do so. So in that sense, it has been pretty determined that you will stay inside the room. Like, I, I could walk to the door, but it won't open.
2: So how about if the door is open, but there's a prison guard with a rifle standing outside? You can choose to walk out. You will be shot. But you can still choose to walk out. Do you still have free will in that situation? There's just bad well, consequences. Yeah, you have
1: free will to exit the room. I mean, I think from there it just depends on how fast you are. But
2: <laughs> <laughs> do you have your good sneakers yeah. in jail? Yeah.
0: So I've heard a similar um, philosophical dilemma to the ones you guys are discussing. So a philosopher by the name of Harry Frankfurt brought this same what topic name? up. Um, <laughs> Um, He brought this same discussion up when he was in discussions of free will and determinism. So he said, imagine, if you will, that Jerry is a quite nifty and even generally nice neurosurgeon. But in performing an operation on Jones to remove a brain tumor, Jerry inserts a mechanism into Jones's brain, which enables Jerry to monitor and control Jones's activities. Jones, meanwhile, knows nothing of this. So Jerry exercises this control through some kind of sophisticated computer. And one of the things it does is it monitors Jones's voting behavior. So this was around the time that there was the election of Clinton and Bush. So he uses that as an example. So if Jones were to decide on his own to vote for Bush, then the computer, through the mechanism in Jones's brain, intervenes to ensure that he actually decides to vote for Clinton and does so vote. But if Jones decides on his own, To vote for Clinton, then the computer doesn't do anything, right? Because that's what it would step in to prevent. So Jones is still making the decision to vote for Clinton, but he doesn't have the option to vote for Bush. Does that mean that he doesn't have free will? He has freely willed.
2: Let me take that scenario scenario and pitch it back to you in a slightly, well, in a very much more grim tone. So something that does happen in... Uh, Real life, unfortunately, uh, throughout time is one of the, when we think of the term genocide, big word, I know, stay with me. When we think of the term genocide, usually we think of just killing people. But if you actually go to the United Nations website on the prevention of genocide, there's an entire office for that. It lists like six different ways that genocide can occur. One of them is the preventing of a certain group of people from having children. There is something that happens a lot, still happens today, especially happened in like the 70s, where women of minority groups would go to the doctor to get a procedure done. And this could be any kind of surgery you go under, you come back up, surgery's been completed, Uh, maybe it was a kidney or a bladder or whatever. And they would wake up, they would go back home, go about their lives. And it wouldn't be until years later that they would realize that while the doctor was in there, he took the liberty of sterilizing her without informing her, okay? Wouldn't find out for years after trying to have kids. In that situation, would you say that her free will was taken away? The free will to have kids?
1: Absolutely like 112 percent
2: yeah so there's her answer to the voting you make it a little more real she wants to have kids she makes the choice to have kids she goes through the motions of having kids does not have kids because someone else took that choice away from
1: her also even without that wonderfully grim example i still don't even see the voting thing as much of a dilemma anyways because like you just don't have the free will to choose to vote republican even if you wanted to like it
2: because not only is there the chooser, the choices, but there is the fact that the choice was made and carried out. Because I think is, is the question you're asking here with this voter situation, the fact that he did choose and go through the motions, does he have to get the result that he was aiming for? Is that what you're phrasing? Does he have to get the result? Does the domino have to fall in order for it to be free choice?
0: Right, so there's, like, the follow-through. So even though he didn't choose the follow-through for the option that he doesn't have, he chose the follow-through for the option that he does. And so the option that was unavailable didn't really matter, necessarily. Oh,
2: so a murderer—I'm I'm just bringing up all the grim stuff today. So a murderer mm-hmm. goes on trial for trying to shoot someone, pulls a trigger, the gun doesn't fire. Is he still a murderer? No. because he Because he chose, because he chose to pull the trigger— He's an attempted murderer, so did he really still have his free choice? Should we hold him accountable for that? The thing he didn't did He did have his
1: free choice, and he should be sentenced for attempted murder because he said, I'm going to shoot you. Ah, ha, 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 ha.
2: But he's not sentenced for murder. He's sentenced for because attempted nobody, murder. Because nobody different. died. He uh, chose to murder. He chose to
1: murder, but he didn't get, he but didn't happen. murder. But it didn't happen. Yeah.
2: So why should his sentence be different if he chose to murder, intended to murder, and it just didn't happen to happen, but he gets a different jail sentence Well, because for the
1: person's still alive and they can continue to live their but life. Meant,
2: but he meant to murder he did. them.
1: And he's, he's a scary man because he's not actually a murderer. He's just an attempted murderer because he's never successfully done it. Now, here's another thought, okay, that fluttered into my head from far away. What happens to your free will if you're born without the ability to have children, right? Like, you know, you go through all the steps, but you just aren't quite there. Is God the doctor in that scenario if you're born without the ability to have kids? That
2: would definitely be argued by a lot of people. If you have children or if you don't, that is very much God knows how many kids you're supposed to have and you have them or you don't. So that's absolutely a very, very common religious stance. And I think it's also used as, I don't want to say comfort, but like a reason to not be afraid of your own inability to have kids, I guess. Like that is the justification. That's the reason the universe makes sense still. It's not just things happen sometimes. And sometimes there are results that we would prefer not to have. And the universe is just a little random like that. It's like, no, 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 there are still reasons and there are still rules. You play by the rules, you win the game. And so it's kind of a comfort for people to believe that there is a determined fate sometimes because if something bad happens, it's not because I messed up and it's not because the universe is a vast, uncaring void. It's because God knew that this would be best for me. And so there's kind of an inherent comfort. I think that's one of the reasons culturally that humans would even come up with the idea of a determined fate.
0: Right. Prevents them from having to struggle with the... Random chaos that the universe may throw at us. It
2: sends off the existential crisis for a little bit longer.
0: Yeah, it's always there. It's always looming. But there's a there's a wall that's religious been
1: built. determinism at its finest, right there. Oh yeah,
0: John Calvin. No, don't get me started on
1: John <laughs> Calvin. <laughs> <laughs> <laughs>
0: I have a cousin named John so Calvin. Sweet <laughs> <mama. laughs>
2: Here, Here's here's
0: a, a question that also popped into my head. This is somewhat unrelated to what we've been talking about, but based on a stance of religious determinism, if God knows all and predetermines all, does God have free will? I'd imagine that omniscience means that God himself would not have free
2: will. Yeah, so is God choosing or is God knowing? Because you said both those things. So is God writing the story of the future or is God observing the story of the future?
0: Hmm. That brings up an interesting dilemma because personally, I would imagine knowing, because omniscience. I feel like, restricts the idea of choice. But that also means that in the case of people saying that, like, oh, God chose this for me, he, he knows the best, that means that that wouldn't be
1: a necessarily valid thing That's to not say. even an angle I had begun to consider. I'm going to be honest with you, that kind of blew my mind just then.
2: Whether God writes or if he acts mm-hmm. in a script.
0: It's like Loki. <laughs> um, anyways, fun, fun Disney not Plus series. Fun. Um,
2: it was okay. I haven't seen it. I think it was okay, <laughs>
0: It was very interesting in that sense. I, I appreciate the that idea of, of scripting. It feels kind of meta in a universe where everything is scripted, both literally and canonically. It's very interesting.
2: I feel like the more comforting thought would be that God writes the script. And I think the more logical thought is that he would not. Because even God exists within a framework. And yet we try and create a bigger God to control that framework. Because someone has to be driving this car like... We can't just be hurtling towards nothing. Someone has to be in charge, surely.
0: Right. It reminds me of something that a lot of the determinist philosophers that I read up on would say. They advocate determinism, but they do not advocate living as though that is the truth because they believe it would cause problems with, for instance, the concept of moral responsibility, as we talked about earlier with like the example of the murderer versus the attempted murderer. Ideas like that, I think, are are very interesting. What are your thoughts on that?
2: I always just think it's funny when we come to that part because in theory, in philosophy, are our actions determined or do we choose them? If confronted with the choice of determinism or free will, which do we choose? Well, if it's determinism, we're not making that choice, are we? That's true. You frame this in a way that does not believe in determinism. For context, I I did write that question. (laughs) I just thought that was funny because we, and like you were saying, where the philosophers are like, yeah, well, it's all well and good to debate this, but don't actually live your life that way, right? I think we are faced with the reality of, no, you choose things. No, you you, you do things because you choose to do it. And I think you can only really reach a determinism that makes sense if you have zoomed out so far from life and reality and how things actually work, that you are really like nitpicking the drywall of the universe. And like, is this drywall? Is it? I don't know. But then you go back to your regular life, doesn't actually apply to anything. So, like, I think I fail to see how truly believing in determinism could actually serve well in society or in your everyday life except for comfort that the universe actually cares, the universe is actually headed somewhere useful, I will be okay.
0: Mm, Which is interesting. Like, personally, I feel like the notion of Free will would be much more The only reason
1: why I would say that free will would even begin to be more comforting is just because there's a lot of people that are not okay. Like, there are people that die in fires and there are people that get murdered by murderers that actually murder people that do not just get right up close to murdering. Yeah, there's successful murderers out there that kill people. And so, but it, it is also tough from a standpoint of like, why am I applying this philosophy? It's hard to see why you would choose or why you'd be determined to have a deterministic Thank you outlook but from a logical standpoint it's hard to see as well because from what i've seen the only real argument for free will is like yeah this is all well and good but i do have free will and you're like yeah but why because like a lot of what i've read and what i've seen in in the preparation for this episode has been like well yeah the universe is it's kind of hard to not see it as a very deterministic place that's predetermined but we do have free will because i just really feel like i have free will and i feel like i have control over my own actions And so it's kind of tough to see free will as the truth for those reasons. It's a very incorporeal concept.
2: And I think as you're talking, I think the the only person that determinism actually works for is someone who lives in a very rigid system well. Because if you are the Catholic archbishop and you don't have any like skeletons in your closet, and you are genuinely a good Christian man who performs those things well and thrives in that environment, you are a good person who is going to get good things and have a good afterlife, and that makes sense. That makes sense in that facet of the world that you live in, and free will is comforting. First of all, I don't think free will is supposed to be comforting, but I think people find it comforting if they are raised in a rigid system that they do not perform well in. Someone is raised religiously, they are told this is the one only way, if you're bad, bad things happen, if you're good, good things happen, that doesn't work, the math doesn't come out right, they find life going differently than they were raised, and they're like, well, I find it comforting that I will choose my own destiny, it's not up to God, it's up to me, but then if you go one step farther, if you are no longer interacting or leaning on that rigid life system at all, it no longer becomes, which is more comforting? It becomes, life simply is, and so are you. And so it becomes less of, which one makes me feel better? And it's more like, well...
3: my experience uh, last year. This was supposed to be kind of my oral
0: exam. Um, I wanted to argue for the position of determinism, not necessarily because I agreed, but simply because I thought it would be an interesting discussion to, to have. But I moved on from the idea surprisingly quickly, despite how deeply I got into the subject, kind of because I had that little existential crisis where I was like, oh my goodness, am I determined? <laughs> and then I just kind of was like, well, it doesn't really matter. I'm still here. I'm still living the same as i always have so i Dude, just moved on
1: determined who or whatever determined it is really really bad at determining things
2: they getting bad roles <laughs> they on <are> rice <laughs> <laughs>
1: oh man and that's that's honestly exactly what i did i went into this and i was like i'm gonna talk about determinism oh Shaw! you know i'm the very mid ground that i would be at is like compatibilism but i was looking at it and i was like well hang on a second Compatibilism doesn't make very much sense.
2: And when you say compatibilism, what do you mean Compatibilism
1: is the belief that instead of being a staunch believer in free will or a staunch believer in determinism, compatibilism is the belief that they both coexist at the same time. So you say, like, there are things that are determined. I am not determined. I have free will. But at the same time, that argument kind of starts to fall apart because a lot of the compatibilists say, like, oh, well, there's free will, but there's also predetermined things because I can make – my own choices and my free choices are the ones that come from me. But you yourself are influenced from other things that you claim to be predetermined, like the world around you or, you know, the universe itself. It has its influence. And so it's like everything can be a decision that you could chalk up to predetermined things and believing in both kind of destroys your own free will because really every decision you make, is being influenced by the things around you, the people that you're with, your upbringing, even very minor things, they can affect your decisions. So from a compatibilist viewpoint, at least in my understanding, it it kind of falls apart a little bit when you look at it too hard. I don't know if that's just me and my very misguided understanding,
2: and I think what you're getting at there is the um, the relation of result with free will because it comes down to predictability. If I drop a raw egg on hard ground, I can choose to let go of the egg, but I know that gravity will pull it down, the shell will give, it will splatter on the concrete. I cannot control, I can control what happens, but I can't control what happens. I can't choose to drop the egg and have it burst into butterflies. And so if you compound that, It becomes, if I choose to go to my family reunion with family I don't get along with, I can predict that I will be in a bad mood and that will influence me. And then you kind of keep zooming out, keep zooming out. You get back to that drywall phase of, is there any choice that can be made without being influenced by the environment? When in reality, that's like saying, is it possible to make applesauce without apples? Because choice is environment choice is interacting with the environment and the environment interacting with you and having results occur. And so it's, it kind of comes back to the question of, is life a Rue Goldberg machine where you drop the marble and it goes through all the random dominoes and slides and hammers falling and strings pulling? And is that just what life is? It's just momentum happening. And if it is, does that matter? Does that not matter? Is that just what life is? We're just all marbles rolling down the void? And is that a bad thing? Or is it a good thing? Or is it just is?
0: It's fun the roller coaster. We have our good times on the roller coaster. It is very intriguing. Even my simplest decisions, if I examine the circumstances around them, it just leads to an endlessly continuing trail of circumstances. It's a crazy rabbit hole to go down. But yeah, one that doesn't really necessarily affect how We would live our lives. Here's something
1: else to think about, right? I I would say that there are certain things about the universe or about the world around me that I cannot change. To say, like, the sky is blue. I can't change that of my own power. That is what is called an untouchable fact.
2: It set off a fire. I could. Could open but the sky up. would
1: still be blue, right? I just it wouldn't be able to could see produce it. Pollution. I, I mean I can't see okay. the sky, we'll but it's, it's blue up there. <laughs> right. So, so. and every time you say things, I'm like, whoa, am I just wrong? <laughs> okay. So you know, if if I can't change some facts, then do those things not influence other things? Like if I would drop an egg, then that kind of creates a domino effect that can influence other things. So if if there is an untouchable fact that if I drop the egg and it breaks, then you could also say that the results of the egg breaking are also untouchable facts because the root cause of it is untouchable. And so then you could say that me cleaning up the egg on the floor is an untouchable fact because it's a result of a thing that has a root cause of an untouchable fact, and so on and so on until everything is untouchable because everything has a root cause in something that is untouchable.
2: And I think that's when you start digging down to the true value of mathematics and science is that it is discovering that drywall. It is discovering those untouchable facts. What are the actual pieces of this machine that we as marbles are rolling through because yeah you drop an egg of this shell thickness at this speed in this air thickness against this hard of a surface and you can calculate those things right so i think this conversation comes from a very philosophical almost humanities angle but it ends in a numbers and in a calculation and a prediction model kind of angle. And I think that disconnect maybe where we don't expect that is kind of where the thought process gets lost a little bit because at the end of the day if you do want to strip down all the pretty art of the video game you're just going to have like the angled box frame mesh underneath and I think that is kind of the skeleton of the universe is the mathematics and the numbers behind it.
0: As I researched this topic, I found just as many theoretical physicists swaying in as I did like ancient philosophers. It's really interesting to see how those like, numbers and um, laws of nature, so to speak, influence free will just as much as our little abstract thoughts that we have. I, I definitely did not appreciate mathematics very much until about last year when some of those more abstract scenarios were presented to me. I kind of got into philosophy of math and that increased my appreciation of math so, so much. It's really an incredibly impactful field if um, you understand it correctly.
2: And when I was growing up from a religious context, to kind of bring it back to the beginning, that is how I ended up understanding how God could be omnipotent. Not that He has a crystal ball that delivers some answers, but He is such an exact and like infinitely powerful mathematician and scientist that He could know all the numbers, know all the information, and see the entire marble field. So that's kind of how I understood it, was that he didn't know things through magic. He simply knew enough that for us, we can drop an egg and be like, oh, yeah, that'll crack. He could look at millions of years of time and be like, oh, yeah, XYZ is going to happen. Of course.
0: Almost like a computer. Mm -hmm. Mm-hmm. reminds me of um, those ideas of we live in a simulated universe.
2: because It's the Matrix. We're in the Matrix.
0: I mean, if we ever did gain the technology to simulate a universe, we'd probably be living in one right now because humanity has already reached it. Anyway, we're all simulated.
1: <laughs> well, if that isn't a takeaway, then I don't this know podcast, what is. This podcast is <laughs>
2: sponsored by IBM.
1: <laughs> I don't think that any philosophy other than determinism can exist because compatibilism destroys free will. Incompatibilism destroys free will. And free will itself, with no determinism, it can't really exist either because Things have to be determined, otherwise nothing will work at all.
2: There is no free will, there is no determinism, there's only math, and that's why you have to take an algebra class
1: well, that's one <laughs> way of saying <laughs> okay, picture this right Let's say that Michael you are living oh, in dear. a completely yeah. Oh, yeah. It's you didn't even personal. the description. I it's personal.
2: Know, like, it's easy. already bad. Yeah, you are living. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, good
0: heavens. every single morning. Oh, me. I get out of bed. alarm <laughs> goes off. Oh, oh no. Oh, jeez. I'm still here.
1: <laughs> <Ooh>. <laughs> okay. You're living in a world with no determinism. There is complete free will. Take a second to revel in the fact that everything you've done has been of your own volition. Wow. Okay, second over. So
2: are we saying the, like not even environmental factors? Yes. Somehow. Yes. In this situation, everything...
1: Is completely free, yes. You are God. Which, well, number one... (laughs) (laughs) What a life.
2: You are writing the script now. You are God. If you can influence anything purely out of choice, you would, by default, be able to influence anything and everything. You are the drywall maker. What do you build? That's
0: a very cool way to describe an otherwise seemingly drab profession. <laughs> drab. Being God?
3: <laughs> <laughs> the drywall I'm making. Making drywall, <laughs> yeah.
0: yeah. That, that is interesting, though. It almost makes me see that uh, idea of God and free will in a more favorable light, a more, like, plausible light. I, I feel like, I mean, if if I were God and I were able to do anything, then I could probably make a predetermined
1: system, right? Well, you'd be the one determining it. Yeah.
2: So as God, you would make determinism. So you have the freedom to do anything, and you would mm-hmm. make mm-hmm. the mm-hmm. unfreedom mm-hmm. to do mm-hmm. things. Yeah. You would yes. make math immediately. <laughs> really closing
1: the door behind you there, Michael. you like,
0: that's screw clear. this.
2: Get the science back in here.
1: Yeah, nobody gets to
0: have free will. Yeah, well, you know. Would God still make determinism for himself
2: in that this? Is there a bigger God? Is there a bigger fish? There is in Mormon theology. It just and keeps going.
0: It's also it is interesting to see how some of my specifically like Utah perceptions of Christian theology have influenced this discussion too.
1: Here we go again I with the Utah theology every time. Are not necessarily <laughs> it's
2: inescapable
0: common to other Christian denominations. So it's interesting to see how that influences the discussion.
1: Utah's a funky place.
2: It is a funky little place. Bless I don't heart. know if "funky"
1: is the word I would use. Kind of like, <laughs> Honestly, I was the one that created the scenario that made you God. I am the bigger fish. You answer to me. If I want you to be determined, you can be. <laughs>
2: so he's determined.
1: He is
0: now. You have
2: determined him. I'm determined. That's his punishment.
1: By the
0: determined universe, and I created another determined. Universe.
2: No, but that's the interesting thing about theology, though, is that they do account for that, because usually it's a very It's like the opposite of abstract, I feel like, in a lot of Christian religions, where it's the don't worry about it. Don't look behind the curtain. What's behind the curtain? Eh. But I think the LDS church actually does try and look behind the curtain and does try to look at the scaffolding, and the answer is like, well, who put this here? Oh, another guy. And who put that guy there? Oh, another guy. And it's just don't worry about it. But like in a a bigger... More fancy way. It's
1: like, don't worry about it, but like, I mean, you can have a little peek, but don't worry about it. You know what I mean? It's our little
2: You didn't hear it from me, but. Yeah.
0: It feels like almost like an Eastern take on Christianity. Christianity is kind of a very linear philosophy in comparison to a lot of Eastern religion, whereas Eastern philosophies are very cyclical. And this makes Christianity, LDS theology makes Christianity that eternally repeating cycle.
2: It's the life cycle of a species instead of just one thing creating other things that are not the same. Life is just one big science poster. We're back to science.
1: Science is philosophy. I mean,
2: (laughs) or is philosophy the misunderstanding of science? We try to invent science because we never went to science class and got the grades.
1: I know I didn't. How does the
2: universe work? The mathematician speaks up from the back. Well, you see, we're like, no, no, no,
1: no, shut up, shut shut How up. How does the
2: universe really work? And then the mathematicians and scientists just have to sit back.
1: Yeah, they're just sitting there like, oh, and I that's have a philosophy from Stanford. <laughs> <laughs> <gasps> we're like, yeah, shut up, nerd. Honestly.
2: <laughs> well, have you seen the comic where there's like the the mathematician or something, and the philosopher, and the philosopher poses like one of those questions where he's like if you took a man and cloned him and gave him all the same memories as the first man who is the first man who is the real man the mathematician is the like first the first man. guy yeah it, it was the first guy
1: you've just made that was easy what else made, do you got yeah, like <laughs> you've made guy number two but the first guy is still the first guy
2: right yeah our philosophers try trying like kind of like pick it apart from like a different angle but then no there, there actually is an answer like
1: if I stand with another person on my right, who's truly on the left, it's still me. Like, <laughs> <laughs> <I can't>.
2: <laughs> <laughs> no, that's so interesting. I have never, I love having discussions like this because I'll put together, I have the puzzle pieces, and then suddenly I see new pictures. This has been real good.
0: Sweet. I mean, that, that is why I finally here.
2: justified to myself why math is important.
0: Well, it sounds like we've come to somewhat of a stopping point.
2: We've come back to the beginning. Seems oh, like a good me. place to end.
0: So we you, we usually have a takeaway and a challenge at the end of each of our episodes.
2: I'll do the takeaway. Takeaway and my 15-year-old self is crying inside. Math is important and it's the truth behind everything. And I'm so mad that I finally figured out why that is. But I'm also glad. What's the challenge?
0: I'm very interested with how much math has been included in this episode. I did not predict at all before got into this episode that that would be the takeaway.
2: But if you had known every single factor of all of our lives, you would have been able to. Who's God now? What's our challenge, Michael?
0: My challenge to you is to, wherever you are, make a choice and uh, feel that choice. See which stance feels most apparent to you.
2: Can I record an outro? It's making me nostalgic. Yeah, no problem. Thank you so much for having me. This has been so much fun. So to everyone out there listening, thank you for listening to The Paradigm Project. Please rate us five stars on iTunes. It helps us a lot. We also have a Q&A on Spotify if you'd like to answer that. If you want to get in contact with us, you can either shoot us an email at podcast at paradigmhigh.org or you can direct message us on Instagram at the Pod.
0: And don't forget to engage in the great conversation of ideas
2: and determinism.
0: So we're here with Miss Sanders. We're going to talk about a couple things. The first thing I want to know is why did you choose to come to Paradigm?
3: Um, I chose Paradigm because I honestly had a really challenging first year as a teacher. I was in a traditional public school and I was looking for sort of a different environment, one that was more conducive to my personal growth and also my growth as an educator. And from my first interview at Paradigm, I really felt that from the administration.
0: That's great. I think that's something that we talk about significantly when it comes to like the difference between like teachers and mentors and students and scholars Mm -hmm. is where it's it's not just like one-way relationship necessarily it's also like both sides are learning and benefiting from the progression
3: and i love that because it takes a lot of pressure off of i think both sides but especially on the mentor side it's Mm -hmm. i don't feel like i have to be perfect or know everything
0: great it's okay to like admit faults and to explore those faults and the new things that are within that to learn, Mm -hmm. which is really cool. So you kind of briefly mentioned this. What are some previous things you've done before Paranek?
3: Um, so I grew up in Missoula, Montana, and I went to school at the University of Montana and I started school as a pre-pharmacy major. I was a pre-pharmacy major for a year, and I don't really know what sort of changed my path, but I changed my path. I knew that I liked math, and I changed my path to math education. Um, in my first few classes I took after I changed my path, it just felt like I was on the right track. So I graduated from the University of Montana with a degree in mathematics, and then I taught in Boise, Idaho for a year and then I took a break and now I'm here.
0: Nice. It's honestly really impressive to like, first of all, like enjoy math. Like a lot of people really don't. And then also to enjoy teaching math to a lot of students that can be belligerent about math. Mm-hmm. It, it's a really colossal feat if you think about it.
3: It's a lot of chipping away at fixed mindsets right. because a lot of people early on either miss something in math or they struggle with something so early on and math just builds on itself. So they kind of shut down super early on and they're mm-hmm. like, well, I don't like math. I've never liked math. So it's definitely a lot of adjusting in that. That's what I personally like about it. I think it's kind of a metaphor for problem solving in real life. If you can persevere through a math problem, even though you believe you can't, you can persevere through a personal problem as well.
0: Absolutely. And it's just as rewarding, I feel like, a lot of the time. Like that moment when you finally get something Mm -hmm. and it all clicks together. It's just so incredibly satisfying.
3: Yeah. I love to see that as well.
0: What is... A reading that has significantly
3: influenced you. I was nervous about this one. I'm not much of a reader. But I did recently, towards the end of the summer, I read Atomic Habits. Ooh. Blinking James.
0: Right. I can never remember authors. I don't know. I
3: don't know off the top of my head. I should have done my research. I'm going to revisit the fixed mindset thing. I kind of like the way that it broke down. The reason that people are quote unquote unproductive a lot of the times is a mental block to believe that they are lazy or incapable. And I like the way that the author James Clear, I think. (laughs) um i like the way that the author sort of broke it down to it's literally just a science of building habits and if you can understand the baby steps the small blocks then you can live a happier more productive life so that was reassuring because i think it's easy to get bogged down if you've maybe been off track for a while or you're not super happy with where your habits are taking you it's a nice reminder that you can adjust at any time and all it takes is little steps.
0: That's a really powerful concept. And Atomic Habits is a book I've been hearing a ton about lately. Yeah. It's just kind of exploding in popularity, I guess.
3: I think it just tackles a lot of big stuff with like less
0: emotion. That's awesome. So this one can be kind of of tricky. It might take a second. What is a quote you really like?
3: Okay, this is probably not the typical response that you get. It's not a classic by any means, but I really like the quote, She is water, powerful enough to drown you, soft enough to cleanse you, deep enough to save you. And that is Adrian Michael. But I stumbled upon it a really, really long time ago. I think I was in high school, actually. And I just like, first of all, I love water. Like, I love the ocean. I have a big respect for how powerful it is. And so I like the way that it illustrates sort of how all people are multifaceted and everyone has different strengths and multiple strengths. And I think that's really beautiful right. and a nice reminder.
0: Yeah, and it struck me as you were reading it. It's just very poetic. Yeah. And poetry sometimes can just really hit differently, you know? Mm-hmm. So that, that's a fantastic quote. All right, I think I just have one more question. What is the line in the Paradigm Declaration? that particularly
3: resonates with you the two that i really resonate with are i'm a free soul with a capacity to learn and grow again i'm like a broken record with the limited beliefs thing but that's something that i'm really into is challenging those and changing those and i believe Mm. that that's exactly what that does it basically says i have the capacity i am capable to learn anything i want to do anything that i want so i love that one and then i also like I can overcome hard things and persevere in my learning, no matter how challenging. And that goes back to kind of the conversation we were having about math and the way that it is just problem solving and persevering. And so I really appreciate that about mathematics. And I think that everyone is capable. And I feel like typically when you're in the midst of a problem, you feel like you can't get out of it, but you always do. So I like that one as well.
0: Yeah, those are those are two really great choices. Thank you so much. Thank uh, you. That's all I, all I have. But thanks it for coming. It was lovely on. to meet you. Lovely to meet you too.